Welcome to Well-Led Schools with Adrienne Hornby. On this podcast, we talk about all things staff well-being, school culture and leadership. Join me for incredible and rich conversations with a range of experts who will give you tips, tricks and inspiration to best support the well-being of the staff in your school and yourself. I'm your host, Adrienne Hornby, a health and wellbeing consultant and former school leader. I partner with schools across Australia to tailor and embed staff wellbeing action plans aimed at addressing staff burnout and building positive working environments. This episode is brought to you by our signature Well-Led Schools Partnerships a 12-month program that brings leaders and staff together to create a shared vision for their school and empowers them to create an action plan that leads to needle-moving changes in school culture and morale. Doors to our partnerships open only once per term. Stay updated on program openings and sign up for the waitlist at adriannehornby.com.au forward slash school hyphen partnerships. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mick. It's really great to sit down and have a conversation. We've been working together for just over a year now, and it's always so fun working with both you and all of your leaders. It's a really vibrant and vivacious team <laughs> that you've built over there. Uh, so thank you again for making the time to, to join us today. No worries. Happy to be here. So I always like to jump in with my very first question, which is what is one thing that you like to do to look after and support your health and or your well-being? Mm, It's a tricky one. Uh, Look, my, my, I guess my kind of other passion in life is uh, Australian rules football. So I've um, I've got a, a strong connection with our local club and I enjoy spending time and my, both my boys play there and my wife's the president of the club so it's kind of it's a bit it's a totally different outlet um similar skills actually to teaching so um I involve myself with with the football club and it's actually the the connection with people I think that is um that is the thing for me there's lots of different personalities different ages different people um and we all come together with something in common but I think whatever whatever um you love doing and if you're surrounded surround yourself with like-minded people and it allows you a bit of space from what you're doing i think any of those kind of activities are good for your well-being um no matter what you know your interests are yeah and i think in today's modern day and age we're really disconnected from community so getting involved in something like a sporting group gives us that sense of community again, of course, being around people socially, but also sharing in values and interests. And um, and I think it's really important nowadays for us to ignite that community aspect when it's otherwise been lost in the way that we live in our houses <laughs> nowadays. Yeah, too. I definitely agree. And to be honest with you, if I, if I wasn't involved in the footy club, I'd probably just be at home. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I might catch up with friends occasionally, but I'd probably just I'd probably be at home. I'd probably, you know, be just doing my own thing, living in my own world, probably working. You know, it's probably like there's there's unlimited amount of work to do. So I think the other thing about it is it does force you to cut and stop. I've got this commitment. I've got to be here at this time. Um, I can't do that extra job that I was going to do. And and you're quite right. It's it the, the connection with people, I think, is 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 an area where society is really struggling. You know, traditionally over the years, pre-social media, pre-internet, pre-mass um, media, um, you know, society has always been our go-to, our go-to place for learning, for well-being, for um, sharing, for you know, and and wider than family. I think you know we're seeing more and more people now disconnected from their neighbours and their friends, and it's to the detriment of everyone. Yeah, and I think in education we're more likely to succumb to that idea of we get peopled out in a really highly emotional and relational profession. So we think that coming home and doing nothing is the correct antidote to that. And sometimes it might be, but I think we can almost fall 
too victim to doing that too often uh, and not actually filling up our cup and 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 refueling that well-being battery in other ways that aren't actually going to drain us in the same way that working with children and young people does. And I agree and I can absolutely relate to being people out, um, which is why I think people have to be very careful about their choice of um you know alternative things to do outside their, their workplace if you get if you get too much of the same it's not going to give the well-being break and the mental and and psychological and social and emotional break that you need um so like for example if i was in a footy club with a really poor culture and toxic people i just i wouldn't be there i'd mm. i'd do something else mm. um i think the fact that it's got such a good culture so it's, it's about that that point that i made around surrounding yourself with good people and you know and that sort of thing. I, I guess the other the other thing about well-being that's really important is um, is how you manage yourself, how you how you look after yourself. And like I, I tend to um, force myself to exercise every morning. I try and do something every morning, even if it's just a, a short walk. Sometimes it's literally just get up and walk around the block for ten minutes, and it just sort of helps get the day started. Obviously, trying to eat well um, and just I think I think that physical health uh, helps a lot as well. Yeah, it's something to do for yourself as a principal. A lot of your day is spent tending to not only the needs of students but also your staff and your leaders. You know, you you have such a heavy burden as a principal, so it's so important for you to to do that aspect of or well, dedicate an aspect of your day to yourself. That's great. All right. Now that we've talked about you and your well-being, I would love for you to give the audience a brief introduction to who you are and your journey in education and I guess even life up to this point today. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. So my name is Michael Sloan. People know me as Mick. Uh, I was born in Canberra and I couldn't get a job in Canberra <laughs> during the recession we had to have. And um in any system, in any school, and I wanted a permanent job. That was 1992. I finished uni, so um, pretty much said I'd go anywhere in the state and landed at Blaney High School in my first um, position, which is which is about half an hour from Orange and Bathurst in the central west of New South Wales. And I've sort of stayed in this part of the state for 30 years now, working in various high schools in different roles. Um, I relieved in a Narromine High School, which is out past Dubbo, in the West uh, for 12 months before getting a permanent principal job at uh, Kelso High Campus, which is part of Denison College in Bathurst. Um, and we've got an interesting mix of students and families and staff. It's a very dynamic place with a lot going on. Um, but I think our fundamental um, strength is our people. And we've and we we, we see how our people look after, particularly our staff look after each other. Um, and we tr we're trying to kind of tap into that with what we're doing with the staff wellbeing. Yeah, it's a great community out there. And as you said, it is very complex, but you've had lots of things going on, on the la over the last few years to really unite community and, and build a culture with students, uh, but also staff there as well. And, you know, you're, you're not one to brag about yourself, but I think it's pretty impressive that last year you actually um, were awarded a Harvard scholarship around a leadership course. So how did that go? <laughs> oh, thanks for mentioning that. Um, yeah, that was, that was an amazing experience. I, you know, probably I didn't really expect to um, to 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 kind of receive a scholarship. So it was a, it was a really nice surprise, and I um, I just I just love the time there. I I do like learning. Um, I continuously learn. I like to read if I'm not too tired. To be able to do that, and I find it hard during the term to actually read anything professional because it's, I'm just so tired. But um, at the end of the day, but it was great to 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 sit at, sit at Harvard, which is is a great experience in itself. But I think the main point is the people who developed the theories and the models. They were that the presenters, sorry, were the people they were presenting their own theories and models. So I was hearing directly from, you know, um, Karen Mapp about you know, how to engage with parents and she'd done a whole lot of research in that space and a whole range of other um, people. And it was it was a great, um, the whole conference was around uh, equity and there were a lot of, um, there were three, three Australians in the group, I think there were about 160 people or something like that in the group. And 
about half of them were from Texas and there were some other international people, three Aussies and just a smattering of people from all around the States. And we, we worked in groups and, and actually got to know every day we'd have a 90 minute session with the same group and we got to know those people really well. They became really um, you know, valuable colleagues over the week and just sharing their stories was, was really probably as good as listening to the, the lectures and participating in the workshops, um, mm. just how they how they manage their situations. And my, my main takeaway was just how fortunate we are I in Australia. Where we, yeah, where we have a focus on equity. Um, we don't have all the, the extreme political, um, particularly from that conservative uh, group in America who um, really make life difficult for um for um, you know, people in public education in a lot of ways. But, yeah, it was a lot. Like the cognitive load was fairly brutal and I was actually kind of physically hurting by the end of the, <laughs> end of the week because it was a full week. They were, they were pretty much 10-hour days and when there, there weren't classes, like I was talking to anyone I could talk to. So, um, But what, a, what an amazing experience. Very grateful to the Public Education Foundation um, who, who, um, who funded the scholarship and uh, I'd really encourage other leaders out there to think about going for it because, like, I'm not really anything out of the box. I'm just a kind of regular principal. So, I think, um, <laughs> oh, I, I disagree. Think, you know, <laughs> I think I think people, um, you know, you perhaps think, oh, I'll probably won't do that because I, I may not be able to do that. But I think that there are a lot of great leaders around who who would benefit from that, and I'd I'd, I'd recommend it highly. Mm. Well, I think that you're the definition of an authentic leader and I think that's definitely what they're looking for because, um, you know, in many ways you can sort of learn all of the other skills but authenticity and, and transformational leadership is 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 something that um, we, can, we can still learn and embed and, and build as part of our personal and professional capability but um, that's definitely, you know, when I when I look up authentic leader in the dictionary, I see you there, Mick. So I think it was um, an Thank excellent... You an excellent opportunity for you. And I was thinking as you were talking, which I hadn't considered before, would be definitely that shift in perspective and that awareness of other people that you would get from something like that, which, you, you know, you know me, I'm all about developing that. And, and a lot of my programs are, are built around supporting school leaders and staff to build a bit more perspective of where their school is at in relation to many others because we can get caught up in our bubble to not only appreciate what's going really well at our school um, but then also bring attention to what we can definitely focus on by learning from other schools and, and other leaders and, and staff in the space. Absolutely. And I think the, the key moment for me was um, the the. the bloke who was facilitating our group was a was a former principal of one of the public schools in New York in the Bronx so he had a fair wow. few runs on the board and <laughs> he he was great actually in, in many ways and he did a lot of these kind of warm-up you know brain energizing activities and one of the one of the things he asked was what keeps you up at night so we broke up into pairs and I was uh, talking to this really nice lady from um, Texas and you know I'm kind of thinking, I don't know, what keeps me up at night? Oh, maybe staffing, like <laughs> staff shortages. I don't know, maybe an occasional <laughs> complaint. You know? And she said, I'm just worried about the safety of my kids. Yeah. You know, I live half an hour from Uvalde. I have to personally go every day and check that, you know, the gates are locked and the classrooms are locked because at any time a shooter could come onto the school yeah. in any at any time and, like, we could we could be in the same position as, all those God, other places, wild. You know? yeah. And and she, they, they they were literally crying. These te- these principals of these primary schools mostly were literally just crying at the at the thought of that and and just how much emotional kind of trauma they they suffer. And I kind of thought, yeah, actually, my <laughs> my, my thing's pretty lame compared to yours. Yeah. But, um, but I was very empathetic. It's not lame. It is the leading stressor <laughs> for principals globally. But we do then forget that there are small pockets um, across the world where people's safety is the number one stressor. And that seems like something a lot bigger at the time than, than yeah. shortages and stuff. <laughs> oh, great. So, um, you know, this leads beautifully into my next question around staff well-being and why is a focus on staff well-being a value to you as a school principal? And I guess, 
in many ways, it's why you chose to engage with um, a health and wellbeing consultant for schools in the first place. But um, but we've done a lot of work on this. So uh, I know that this is generally quite clear in your mind. But yeah, why is it important to you, Mick? Well, I mean, I just, it's probably just who I am fundamentally. So for me personally, I, I, I value people. I, I think that we, what we do is really hard. It's hard to explain to people who don't work in schools. And I think that sometimes I say to my staff, most people can't, most people can't be teachers. They just can't. They don't have the, like the cognitive academic ability and then the patience and then the care and then the ability to, to kind of um, consider the needs and then analyze all the data and then do all the thousand things and then, you know, have the energy and, 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 and kind of to, to sustain the role. So most people can't be teachers. And then out of the teaching fraternity, I think a lot of people would struggle in complex low SES um, environments where there's such a large proportion of our students who have uh, trauma, traumatic backgrounds and community who don't value education. So I think you start to get to like a, a work environment that can be very, very taxing um, we have we have great kids. We really do. We have some amazing um, amazing students. But the demands of the system, the demands of the external factors that we have to deal with, the just the time pressure we're under, you know, the the, the staff shortages, all those factors wrap up into a really complex and difficult, um, you know, um, kind of work life which takes its toll on people. And we, we see increasingly, you know, every holidays, you know, our staff are on their knees by the time the holidays come around. You know, I, I remember when I started my career, it was it was nowhere near as intense, the pressure on us, the the, the complexities that we were dealing with in schools was, was nowhere near as it is now. And our staff do an amazing job. And so for them, for them as people, for them as educators, and also... I guess from a kind of, if you look at it rationally, to to look after your most important asset. So our staff are our most important asset. So to be able to look after them, support them, and keep them functioning well, well operational, well oiled, you know, um, and and to to try and provide some strategies for them. And I think that's that's really where we're trying to take our staff wellbeing away from a tokenistic or a reactive or a, a, a kind of a superficial way of managing our staff into a far more embedded uh, process where staff are able to recognise and, and help take control of some of that wellbeing themselves, which in itself provide, proves a fair few challenges. Um, but, I, but I also think even just the fact that we are prioritizing staff wellbeing kind of has a bit of a flow on wellbeing benefit because I think some of our our kind of operators probably appreciate that the time is being spent that they do they do get frustrated and and unhappy but they can see that we are at least trying to support them yeah they feel valued and recognized and and what you said um a little way back about working with the, your clientele and the kind of kids who who are enrolled in your school uh, is really rewarding and they're great kids. And I think when you work, having myself for most of my career, teaching career worked in a low SES school um, comparatively, of course, in the ACT, <laughs> um, you know, with working with some really um, at times quite challenging behaviour and, and, and very complex community uh it's can be really challenging but it's also really rewarding because we see i guess in many ways lots of growth uh and change in our students which um which is really powerful but we require the mindset as educators in that space to be able to recognize and see that uh, and not be like i say Velcro for the bad and Teflon for the good, uh, which is, you know, part of human nature. It's a survival instinct for us to focus on the hard times so that we have, you know, we're innately wired to avoid hard things that could compromise our survival. And now, you know, those those harder, more stressful times, of course, sort of set off the the tripwires for us. So it's it's what you're talking about there around that management of self uh, is really important. And I know that 
you recognize really strongly and you and you mentioned it around managing our staff because you see the value that the leaders can have in creating that environment and that culture that is conducive to staff well-being and I've always loved that about working with you you've never said oh it's just up to staff to look after themselves and manage the the fact that we work in a really challenging environment how can I get my leaders to a place where they're supporting our people to be the best that they can be it's exactly right. We have four we have four areas that we're focusing on in our in our plan, and it's really about knowing your role because mm. I think that's part of it is understanding you know what it is your job to actually program, and it is your job to mark and write reports and attend parent teacher night. Yep, that takes time. You know what? Mm. That's what you're paid to do. And the second one is developing your skills. So actually linking our um. PDP, our um, like performance development goals, our professional development and our professional learning and training to well-being because it's actually going to improve your well-being as an operator if you are well-skilled and you understand and you can you have that that kind of knowledge and background. The third part that we focus on is self-care. So and I provide a lot of strategies for staff and I think some of them stick, some of them don't. But I figure that I go for a whole wide range of things, e- even little things like uh, in, a, in a weekly bulletin, I'll always send out. Sometimes it's just a photo or a, might be something I've seen on Facebook, might be a little quote. I, I often find at this time of the term, you know, what can you do in holidays to recharge the batteries? You know, there's often articles and things like that, short articles that we, we can put out for people to read um, because I think that self-care is what I talked about. And the final one is school systems. What are, what are the systems that we can wrap around the the staff? And some of them are things like behaviour systems that are not working, like whole school, you know, or frustrations because communication is not how it could be. But also where we're trying to go, and we we haven't we haven't been overly successful with this yet. But it is something we will we will persist with is supporting staff who have genuine like need genuine help and um, who are really struggling but are not confident or comfortable to communicate with their their leadership team or in some cases even their colleagues that they're that they're drowning in their mental health and in the pressures some external some related to work probably a combination of both i suggest and what have we got in place to try and help those people and that's a really kind of hard area because there's a lot of trust involved and people don't want to, I still think, you know, even though we've made a lot of progress, there's still a stigma around, you know, mental illness, depression, anxiety. People don't want to, they're more than happy to say, hey, I broke my arm doing this. Um, look, it's in a cast and I'm not, I'm not well or I've got COVID or I've got the flu. I'm not, you know, I can't come to work. But I think a lot of people are still reluctant to admit that their mental health is not great because they're worried about, how people think about them. Yeah, and 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 I love those four areas for a number of reasons and you know um we'll 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 sort of dive into that a little bit more quickly as to uh sorry a bit later on as to how we got into uh to finding those four areas and that was through a diagnostic approach and then the creation of mixed vision. But um really quickly because it flows on nicely from what you were just saying is that what can tend to happen in schools is, you, you know, you've got those two focuses on knowing our roles and our responsibilities and, and having engagement in our in the workplace. And what can happen is that when people's well-being is impacted and those things begin to waver, many school leaders can double down on the professionalism and the rules and the control um, because they think, oh, things are slipping. I really need to reiterate how professional everybody needs to be and how we have to adhere to the code of conduct. And that is very important and one part of it. But what we also need to do is focus on that relationship building and rapport and support for our staff as well, if anything, foundationally first, because that is the thing, that is the foundation of trust. And this is all front of mind. I'm about to move into this space with um, professional development for your leaders is in order for trust to come, we have to start with rapport. Uh, And, you know, establishing trust is a process. Uh, Maintaining trust is the next part of it. And then sustaining it over the long term requires lots of work. And 
you know, it's something to think about if you're a leader listening and you think, oh, yeah, the professional standards of my stuff does appear to be uh, slipping away and people are talking behind closed doors. And then you're thinking, I need to double down on talking to them about how to be professional. There's a place for that, but it must really come after that focus on working with our people, building that level of trust. So I, you know, your approach definitely balances out all of those areas. And I think one of the risks is, and we we slip into this from time to time, our senior executive, is you focus on that 15 to 20% yeah. negativity because it's very obvious, it's in your face, you're hearing it and people, you know, you often hear from your head teachers, oh, there's so much negativity in the staff room, people are complaining and you tend to think, right, well, maybe we should, we need to address this, we need to yeah. tackle this. When in actual fact, when you find out it's, Actually, a relatively small proportion of people. We we had we had a well-being we have a well-being um, week every week, and it started. It was actually the idea of, of our directors last year was to just bring a week in and have no meetings. And we've changed our focus a little bit this year. We don't we we don't have we we still have a meeting. So we have so what we're saying is we value your stuff well-being. So we're not just going to give you an hour off. We're going to actually do some a meeting that's going to help your well-being. So. Ideally, this would move to, you know, potentially speakers or TED Talks or um, some kind of stimulus. Last week, we we, we just showed the staff um, all the things that the executive were working on to try and address the issues that they'd raised. Their problems with behaviour, here's, here's all the work we've done this term. Yep, the Wednesday, yeah. <laughs> the Wednesday structure is not working. Yep, we've got a plan for that, which is going to change in 24. Um, you know, the communication's not happening. We we recognise that and these are the systems we put in. Oh, that makes me so, happy to hear that you're communicating the why behind everything. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I think that's really important. But, yeah, and, and avoiding the trap of, right, these people are complaining, let's address. It's a bit like the kids in your class who are misbehaving. You know, if you put all your energy into that small group, you forget the the rest of the team. Yeah. And that is such an important part of it too. And I know, you know, again, we're finishing off with, with the ending around our vision and our approach for your school, but um, you know, that is something that we recognize was defining what an approach to supporting wellbeing actually looks like uh, in your school. And you were, I know, really adamant from the staff that it wasn't just about giving time off and early finishes. It was around communicating to staff that if we provide professional learning on an afternoon around student management, it's to attend to that key stressor that came out from the school scan, which was around challenging student behaviour. So, um, you know, that is the why behind why we're having that professional learning. And I think a lot of the time in many schools, it's just simply that communication and tying off that that loop at the end with the, you know, why a decision has been made, why something is there to, to leave no room for ambiguity for staff to insert their own. I talk about this a lot. So I love the fact that you've spent some time communicating back to staff where you're up to, providing that certainty and clarity uh, and not giving them, I guess, wiggle room to say nothing's being done because you've communicated everything that you're doing for them. It's a really simple strategy too. Yeah. We just yes. tell them what we're doing. So it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't require it, much planning, does it? It's good. Not really. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> All right. So we really embarked on a very diagnostic approach to supporting staff for being at your school. And we surveyed your staff early last year to identify at the time the current state of well-being amongst staff, their key stresses the initiatives that they feel would be really useful alongside the school and in many ways the, the leadership, uh, their current approach to supporting staff well-being and culture. And I call this a school scan of well-being where we review multiple data sets, um, capture the observations of our leaders and staff, uh, and, you know, namely look at the data that comes out from, from a staff well-being survey. And we completed that process last year, but what did that scanning process uncover for you uh, and some of those sort of key focus areas at your school? So on a positive, I guess we, our staff generally felt that it was a good place to work and they enjoyed, they would, they would recommend it as a place to work and yeah. they enjoyed the kind of um, 
interactions of their colleagues and they felt that they had good relationships with their colleagues. So that was really positive. And where probably the main area was people just feeling overwhelmed with the amount of work that they've got to do and the, and the nature of the work and, you know, feeling that there was a, a kind of they were, they were burning out or they were moving into that stage of just feeling very dissatisfied um, with their work. So on the, on the one hand, um, we like the people, which is, which is probably not surprising. Um, our staff have always had, we, we have, unlike a lot of high schools, we have um, shared common areas. So those common rooms are very um, supportive and energetic and, you know, there's a lot of collaboration. There's like four faculties in the one room, everyone's in together. And for the most part, I think it works really well in building that um, camaraderie and support for each other, which kind of happens naturally. Yeah. But your leadership team also role models that, like you're a really fun, high vibration leadership team. And I think that that then trickles out into the staff as well. Yeah, we have very good leaders. We've got a very, we've got a very committed and caring um, group of leaders and a bit of a mix of experiences. We've got some people who are still finding their way and developing their their skill set have been either relieving or in the job only for a relatively short period of time. You know, we've got some, we've got a great um, pool of deputy principals who really do, really are fully committed. Like that, like our, my leadership team has, has changed over, 80% of the team has changed over since I started. So we've had a lot of renewal and um, which, you know, creates some challenges as well, particularly for those people as they're, as they're swimming hard to try and find their, their their space their place immediately and 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 that sort of thing but um but overall the people we've brought in have really everybody has added something different to the team Hmm. yeah definitely and you know to the audience listening at at mixed school there there were those strengths around morale so that was higher than the national average so staff morale 62 percent which you know isn't 100%, but my national average is around 49% of staff would report high morale. Uh, Relationships particularly strong with 77% of staff reporting that relationships are really strong and well-formed as opposed to the national average of around 58%. But, you know, reports of a positive school culture was at 83% where the national average sits at around 64%. And again, endorsement for the school sits at around 83% of staff. So as we know, uh, burnout and impacted mental health is one very important statistic, but those other key areas give us a bit of an indication of overall how we're going as a school and the environment that we're creating. And then the approach that um, Mick and I are taking with his with his leaders and staff is around, um, you know, fine-tuning those areas and supporting those staff who are burnt out, which was around 50%. Of, of staff with the national average being 45, so slightly above there. Um, but again, I mean, total experiencing burnout or being at risk of burnout was just below the national average. So it wasn't anything sort of too wild and out there. But this just goes to show, and I want to acknowledge you, Mick, that the situation isn't necessarily dire and falling to bits in your school, but you choose to still focus on staff well-being and culture because you know of the impacts it can have on school performance and and student life and learning outcomes. So, um, yeah, the approach that we're really working on with your staff is supporting them with their with their stress, but also their burnout rates and 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 mental health. Exactly right, and you don't wait till something's broken to try and fix it. Yeah, yeah. Really. You, you, you kind of invest while things are, are going okay. There are some, you know, there is lots of things we need to work on. And I, and I think part of it is that perception of work. It's, it's, I think some people, for some people, it's, it's time management. For some people, it's just um, focusing on, okay, what is my understanding? What is the purpose of what I'm doing? And, you know, what is the, what is my role? How, how do the standards you know, support what I'm doing. How does the school excellence framework, you know, inform my work? And and you know, exposing people more and more to even just like conversations yesterday with head teachers around programming. And you know, some people reluctant to um, invest time in developing programs because there's a new curriculum coming and they don't want to 
they don't want to kind of um, spend time now on work that they're not going to be able to use later. Like while, whilst I, I kind of understand that to a certain extent, I understand that they want to maximise the work that they do and be able to use that work for years to come. The reality is that's part of the role. It, mm-hmm. it, you know, and you can say, look, it's a very, very hard job. We've got to work outside of hours and, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're up late at night and we're working on weekends. But the fact is there is time as well to recharge and recover. We don't, we don't have, like we have four weeks a year annual leave and the rest of our time is, is actually uh, time in lieu and recovery time and working time to set our, set our classrooms up because I think all good operators and practitioners know that you cannot be effective if you're not organised and you're not and things are not set up and planned and and you're not evaluating. If you evaluate your work, you can identify the things that worked and didn't change for next time. And ultimately, going through that process is going to be good for students, but it's actually going to be good for staff and 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 their wellbeing as well. Yeah, and there's that that approach that we take where it assumes the joint responsibility. So, you know, workload was the key stressor of um, the majority of the staff at your school, like it can is in many schools. Uh, but it's about recognising, okay, as a leadership team, we can streamline things and we can rethink how we run those Wednesday meetings that you don't think are working very well and aren't a good use of our time. And we can review how many assessments we have at once and um you know, the the scale and the scheduling of assessment tasks and reporting and all of those things. But as staff, you also need to assume some responsibility for your time management and productivity. And that's not because they're intentionally not doing a great job at managing their time. We're not actually wired to manage time and lots of tasks as humans. That's We're very innately, very intuitive beings. So planning and, and having all of these extra responsibilities is is something that comes with modern day life. And we have to learn the skills to be able to manage that, that we don't actually have innately inbuilt into our hardwiring. Um, and, and it's really important for staff to recognise how they best work when they work um, well uh, at the time of the day. And then also their working styles based on the kind of personality that they have. Um, and and that's really important, that that self-awareness in order to be able to change our behaviour is, is a key part in this whole process. All right, so a lot of our work last year was spent then after we'd, we'd identified those key areas for focus, um, was spent diving into your vision as a school principal for staff well-being and school culture. And as part of the Well-Led Schools Partnership Program, I like to work with this really quite thoroughly with the school's principal and or senior leadership team so that we can identify, first of all, why well-being is important, what it actually is, and then carve out an initial plan or an approach to supporting staff uh, in order to communicate this to our leaders and to our people to almost set the scene for where we're going. And... And having a vision is really important as strategic leader, strategic leaders, because strategic vision and good leadership really do go hand in hand, rather than just kind of rolling with the punches. And I, I really do consider that the best leaders deepen a sense of purpose for staff by clarifying their vision across key strategic areas, and well-being and culture is included in that. And I feel like this is important because otherwise we can get caught up in a wellbeing approach that's certainly more surface level and doesn't really go deep enough to truly support our people and build that positive working environment. Um, Mick, could you explain to the audience how the process of carving out your vision really unfolded for you initially and over time and, and how you've communicated your vision to your staff and leaders so far, acknowledging that it is in itself a big process? I guess the vision... It was it was probably mostly just a thinking task for myself um, and and my senior team. You know, we 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 had to go right back to think about you know what what's the purpose of of what we're doing? Why why are we why why do we need to focus on staff wellbeing? All those kind of questions you asked earlier in that discussion around why is wellbeing important and like listening to people, observing people. Um, talking to people, that all those sorts of things were um, were really part of part of the mix. 
um, in terms of coming up with with a vision. And then, and then I think if you if you start with that why and and that vision, and you can write it in a way that is kind of succinct that it covers your main points, it gives you that that focus to come back to at at each time. And anything that gets added on, or you know any kind of discussions, you can you can have a look and and say, well, does this align with our vision? So we so basically um, after after the looking at the school scan after you know some work with adrian on with our leadership team after obviously navigating different challenges and and talking to people you know executive monitoring and pdps and those types of conversations i sort of sat down and adrian helped me over the christmas holidays to get the vision into and and the kind of like the the strategies and the plan helped me to get it into a format that was was um, I guess un- easy to understand uh, something that we could share with staff, and that was a really valuable process. So I I probably you know write a draft, and Adrian would kind of um, offer me um, some feedback and have you thought about this question? What I was doing, you know, for example, I think in our aims we I had about five or six things, so we boiled that down to like two or three, just to target it differently. So. And now we've got a, a pretty simple, we've got a pretty simple plan, which, which we don't look. We don't. We don't. It's not something that we're referring to all the time, but we we kind of bring it out just to remind people of where we're up to. So I'm really happy to share that with anyone if um, if they'd like a copy of the work that we've done. And this is you know part of your um, process is to is to use that information and identify where you need to go to develop your plan um to then and to then kind of um use that as a basis for moving forward so we're, we're kind of at that stage now where we're implementing some of our strategies and then kind of explaining to staff how and why we're doing things yeah and i think um the process that unfolded with you actually changed the way that i did it with many other schools Mick, because you'll you're really good at breaking things down in a way that is easy to digest for staff. So where a vision that leaders normally can generate can seem quite broad, and in many ways it sounds nice, but staff think, well, how exactly are we going to get there? What you did that I like um, and have subsequently stolen to, to do as part of my process is breaking it into those four areas so that staff can really see that again. So it became more than just words in a statement. Um, You know, your vision specifically talked about understanding our role, ensuring that we're engaged as educators, supporting ourselves and then developing systems. But then you put it really nicely in a display with the four areas with some examples of some key actions or focus areas that we would be focusing on. And that is really important because as we go into building a wellbeing action plan, that initial vision provides the scope of where you're going and staff know what to expect. So the action plan provides the accountability and when you're going to do it and who's going to do it. But the the way that you stepped out the vision even further than how I had been initially doing it, which was still a great way, yours, I, I think, made it easier for staff to say, oh, okay, right, there was less uncertainty about what you would actually be putting into place. So you might have had underneath knowing, uh, sorry, teacher engagement, it might have been supporting student um, management and and challenging behaviours. And then under school systems for support, you had leadership training around emotional intelligence and leadership approaches that are more conducive to wellbeing. So staff go, right, okay, we're focusing on this, but our leaders are also doing this. Uh, And I think that that's created a lot of that psychological safety um, of knowing, okay, in the next sort of three years, these are the possible key areas that we'll explore. We don't know in what order yet, but that's what's coming, which is which provides hope and optimism for staff, which is really necessary, and that's why we put a vision in place in the first place. <laughs> yeah, oh, thank you. I appreciate the feedback. I um, I also think we're actually. I think we're going to flip our wellbeing meetings um, and move them from the end of the term to 
perhaps the early or middle part of the term. What we've found is, um, and we had quite a good debate about it in our last senior exec meeting about what we were going to do in the week eight meeting. And I was I was keen to do something around, you know, why why negative thinking and complaining is actually not good for you. Um, and whilst honest feedback is really healthy and having constructive discussion about things that are not working, you have to come out from a solutions mindset because the 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 complaining and the negativity is is it just like if you go into something with a negative mindset, it's probably not going to work, no matter what, no matter what it is. And then you've got all those physiological responses, the cortisol flooding of your body and things like that. Whereas by taking a different positive approach and trying to look at the glass half full, you know, you get all the serotonin and you get all the other kind of positive chemical physical reactions as well as 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 your as the, the complement your positive thinking. So it's like a it's like a double whammy, whichever way you go. But we decided that June in Bathurst um, in week eight, just on the edge of reporting season, is maybe not the best time to be picking <laughs> up people with, you know, um, challenging their thinking and challenging how they yeah. how they manage things. So we are looking at ways we can fit it into a very, very crowded agenda of professional learning but potentially earlier in the term where we can maybe challenge our staff, which is where I want to take the wellbeing, is challenging them in, you know, in their thinking, in in some of their practices. Um, and, you know, sometimes by challenging people, their response is, no, I'm happy with what I'm doing and it actually is working for me. Great. Well, if that's, if that's how it is, fantastic. Um, that just reinforces that your practices work for you. But for other people, we're hoping that um, you know it might it might lead to change, which will ultimately help them, because that's really what the whole thing's about. Yeah, and I mean the approach that you're taking there is, I think, a more well-rounded approach to workplace wellbeing, which is yes, recognizing the stresses and the challenges and doing our best to minimize the risks. Um, associated with those, but also applying those positive interventions and those positive solutions. Um, You know, when I come into a lot of schools, there often is no focus on talking about the things that uh, are really challenging. So I think we need to start there and always acknowledge those and recognize them, but still focus on, okay, well, what are we actually doing to attend to that area, which is that big focus on positive psychology. It's about positive interventions, recognizing the challenges, but applying the positive interventions. And we can do that on a personal scale as well. It's not enough just to talk about all of the things that have gone wrong or are going wrong in your life. I think that that keeps us caught up in the hamster wheel, but what coping strategies will we actually apply? But, you know, your wellbeing week and the focus on that each term is but one approach in a many number of strategies that your leaders and the school at large are applying. And I think like we were alluding to before, the professional learning that you choose is designed to support wellbeing. The coaching process with your staff is designed to support wellbeing. Um, the work that we're doing for professional development with your leaders is designed to improve their leadership capability and their personal and, and build upon their personal attributes to support staff wellbeing. And I think defining what wellbeing is is really important that it goes beyond looking up just looking after yourself and and talking about what's stressful and it's around the overall culture and feel of the school which um you've all already done really well it was about building upon that exactly and it is and you're right there's a lot of different layers uh lots of different approaches and and I suppose it's how it, it comes back to how you define the, the concept of well-being. Mm. And I, I've probably chosen to define it this way because I feel like um, well-being and work are so closely entangled. It's hard to separate one from the other. It's not like you can say, right, oh, well, over here you do your work and then we'll add this extra thing on this side. And that's your well-being. And if you take that tonic, then you'll be fine to do your work because it just doesn't work like that. It's all it's all so closely linked. 
Yeah, well, there's that, between that they, that they can't be separated. That's right, and there's between five and eight different dimensions of our well-being, and we were talking about community well-being before, and 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 career and occupational well-being is an important one to focus on because while it's just one part of it, and all of them are so interlinked, whether it's our social health, uh, social well-being, our physical well-being, our financial well-being, all of them, they're all really linked, but. Actually, st- the statistics show that career well-being and occupational well-being has the biggest uh, pull, I guess, or has the biggest influence on our overall feelings of thriving. And my boss or my manager uh, is one of those bigger influences. So it, it doesn't mean that on, like we can only focus on workplace well-being and it will improve everything else, but it does hero the need to ensure that what we're doing at, at work is um, sufficient or, or adequate for our staff and particularly through uh, how we lead our school, which has been a big focus for you because um, you brought me on specifically to work with your leadership team and they do, as we discussed before, have a really vast range of experience and skills. But what areas for professional development are you focusing on most with your school leaders to enable them to best support their staff's well-being and team culture and why? I mean, we've been on a journey, so we focused on a few things, but, you know, why for you were, was that support from the leadership team most important? Well, I mean, it's, it's, there's a few dimensions to it. One, I've got a very dynamic, relatively young and very inexperienced team. You know, like we've had so... We've we've got a couple more permanent positions in this year, but last year I had relieving head teachers for English, for maths, for support, uh, for HSIE. Um, I had a, a, a science head teacher in her second year. I had a number of um, well-being was in her first year. Uh, so like this, and deputy principals who were in their first or second or third year. So. It was probably initially um, part. My initial thinking was to build their skills as part of a executive professional development process, a broader process. But once we once we got into it, we actually realised the the kind of power of this and and how it could inform much more than just adding to their skill set. In, in actual fact, that the 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 first thing that I watched your um, initial kind of podcast that my initial one it was probably not yours you've probably been doing it for a while but I picked you up on an email and went oh this looks interesting stuff well being I might be able to get some resources that I can share with my team you know as I send out my weekly bulletin just with a few strategies and I kind of really I really engage with your um your that presentation and thought yeah you make a lot of sense here I think we can work with our executive team so that was the initial idea was that around that. But then we started to look at, um, so last year we did some great work. You led some great work with us on understanding your personality style and how, and the style of your teams. And, and people really engage with that to, to, to understand how they go about things and then how those approaches may work for people with similar personalities or in some cases they don't work with similar personalities and how they work with, and and how if you've got a, a completely polar opposite personality to someone on your team, how you have to adjust your approach. So, I think most of most of the leaders then took that survey and worked with their own teams, and we hadn't even talked about doing that. They just they just did that <laughs> and thought it was worthwhile. And I think that was a great kind of strategy. We're we're doing some work this term on um, sort of like difficult conversations and how we how we manage those difficult conversations. Um, about ways that we can identify and and support our staff and ourselves. I mean, everybody has, you know, there are there are each team is diverse, and there are people with varying needs, and some people who require more support than other people, and sometimes uh, that can be draining on the middle leadership because they're running, they're the kind of they're running everything, they're running the the faculty plans, they're, they're getting the casuals work for the day, they're managing the reactive discipline, they're supporting their staff, they're making sure that, you know, I call them in and say, where are we up to with the plan and how are you going with show me your programs and those types of things. They're doing all that, but they're also, they are the first point of contact 
with their teams and they're with them all the time. They're sitting next to them or in the same area as them and they're part of that. They're the really, they are the really critical role in the whole system. And I feel like by them building up their skills and understanding and strategies is going to help them to be effective. And in some cases, it's perhaps being, you know, more empathetic. In some cases, it's being less. Like it just depends on this, the person out, the person where they're at to uh, and helping them to navigate that space. Yeah, it's really finding the balance between supporting someone's well-being and also being an effective people manager. I think we can sometimes swoop too far either way on that pendulum, like I was alluding to before, particularly leaders and uh, senior leaders, I find can go more towards that people management side of things, um, whereas our middle leaders can often be super supportive of well-being and mental health that sometimes they feel uncomfortable having the conversations around effective management of their people. So it's around finding that that middle ground. And, you know, it's bit, there's a method behind the madness of why um, I structure my professional learning with staff and leaders the way that I do because you can't come in with how to have difficult conversations too early on because if you're trying to have a difficult conversation with somebody about their performance or even their contributions to the whole school culture without having first developed some kind of rapport and trust with them as well as explicitly communicating what we expect from our staff from a cultural perspective, which is the whole reason for why we have that vision, then having a difficult conversation probably won't go very well with our staff who are of a different personality style to us or um, who we see, you know, as, as I guess more pointy end, which in many ways they're not super pointy and they just might have felt like they haven't had a lot of consultation and collaboration, their burnout rates might be a little bit higher, they don't feel like they've been get, been engaged for a really long time. So it's important for us to develop an awareness of ourselves first as a leader so that we have the awareness of, of, of others so that that conversation lands really well. So that's that's why, and we'll revisit that. I know I'm in with your leaders again next week. We'll go, okay, remember we've come up with this whole vision this is the basis that we can refer to at first when having that more challenging conversation. So, you know, as a whole school staff, we agreed that we'd work collaboratively um, and, you know, we'd, we'd discuss things in the right, uh, correct and professional forum. And perhaps last week, an incident, you didn't really do that, but is everything okay rather than this punitive response? So, yeah, we've been on a real journey with with your leaders from sort of recognising those emerging themes in what it takes to support staff for being in schools, looking at your data, evolving their leadership by looking at their, um, you know, their ideal state of leadership and the approach that they'd apply, recognition of the very different personalities. And, and now we sort of step into that next zone of building rapport and trust, which is, um, which is going to be fantastic. All right. So thank you so much, Mick. We're on our last two questions that I ask everybody who comes on the show. Um, we see a number of quotes circulating on social media showcasing something thought-provoking or inspiring from thought leaders across the globe and throughout time. If a quote from you was circulating on the topic of health, well-being or leadership, what do you think it would say? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure how to answer that. I might have to think about that one and get back to you, actually. Have to send it um, back to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess I, I'm not sure about wrapping the language around it, but I, I guess it's really around you are responsible for you. You, you really are. And I, I see so many people who don't take responsibility for themselves. And the ones that the, the people that I see really, really struggling are ones who are, uh, you know, frustrated and angry at the system or they're not, you know, they're, they're, they're worried about the workload or they're frustrated about situations in their life that are often beyond their control. So I, I think the fundamental thing for me is, um, you know, yes, acknowledging that things are, are difficult at times, but it's actually my responsibility to manage myself and my well-being. I'm really the only one that can do it. And I can get help and support and guidance, my, you know, from my family, from my friends, from my boss, from my colleagues, et cetera. But fundamentally, it's it's I'm I'm my approach is probably going to determine 
to a large extent what my what my well-being looks like. Yeah, and we've talked about that a lot in our chats together is around oftentimes many people, probably us included, can focus on the factors that impact our well-being that are far beyond our control more than the ones that are within our control. So there are things like time of significant events in our lives, legislation, the department, those kind of factors that can really influence us, but there are also other areas closer to us, like our sense of self or our connections with those around us or even the interactions we have in our organisation and workplace, which we have far more control over. So let's divert our attention in there as much as possible um, and in many ways accept what's out of our control but do what we can with the means that we've got. Yeah, 100% agree. And we've been talking a lot about four types of factors. So external factors we can't control what happened to that child this morning, this weekend, or for their entire life, or, you know, we can't control the weather or we can't control a whole lot of external factors. We can't control the system factors either. The fact that there are teacher shortages, that we didn't like the um, behaviour policy that was brought in, that mm. we think it's unfair that um, their curriculum is being changed and it's, the timeline is unworkable. We can't control those system factors. Some personal factors we can control, some we can't. We can't control if we get sick. Sometimes we can help minimise that. We can't control if, um, you know, we have tragedy in our lives, in our family situations and conflict and things like that. Sometimes we can't control. Um, but we can control our internal factors. We can control our mindset. We can control our preparation. We can control, you know, the routines we put in place. We can control whether we talk to people or not. We can we we have so much control, and I think where people really struggle is that they try and focus on the stuff that is outside their control rather than honing in on things that are within. Yeah, absolutely, and it's been a big focus of our work, and it's and it's important for us to keep reminding our staff of that all the time. And I know a big thing that you. Uh, have done and continue to do with your staff is buffer them against some of those external stresses. But we talked a lot about, you're like, oh, but I do, I've stripped things right back. And my advice has always been, we've got to communicate that back to the staff because otherwise they just don't have any idea. So we've talked about ways to make it really visual so that staff see the department wants us to do this, but in many ways I've prioritised this for you. And so involving them in that process and making them aware and building perspective, you know, it comes back to one of those early points we talked about. It's all around perspective. And um, it, and it, our job as leaders is to, to keep opening that up for staff. All right, my last question is that this podcast is aptly titled Well-Led Schools, which is a play on words to... Uh, recognize and reflect those schools who lead with well-being in mind. What is one thing you think schools or school leaders can do to prioritize well-being that would make the biggest difference? I think we have to communicate, but within that communication, we have to listen. And sometimes we don't listen. As leaders, we are busy. We have pressure from above in the system, from beyond the schools to implement certain strategies. We have a lot to do. We're dealing with a whole lot of things, complaints. We're dealing with curriculum changes. We're dealing with staff shortages, finance, work health safety, all that sort of management management side of things that's, that's really tricky. And we're busy, we're tired ourselves. And sometimes we don't listen, really listen to what the staff are telling us. Sometimes we're not in a position to listen because we're frustrated or, or whatever. So I feel like if we can get into a space where we can listen and understand the things that our staff are telling us, then that will help us to be able to adjust what we're doing to respond to those sorts of things that the staff are listening. Like I said we did last week in our meeting, we you know the, the, the first start of the term, we, we literally um, asked two questions in the staff meeting. What's, what's working? What could we do better? Two questions. And we got a whole lot of, we got, we got a bit back on what's working. We got more back on what could we do better, which is kind of human nature. Um, we listened to that. We sat down. We said, righto, what are we doing already and what can we do? And we, we totally changed the way we were working as an executive because we realised that we weren't including our head teachers in some of the decisions that we were making. 
So we revamped our behavior flowcharts and got the got the input of the head teachers. And you know, we can now present a whole lot of work that, you know, is is there to address some of those concerns that were raised. Some of the concerns we didn't agree with. Some of the things we said, okay, well, that's fine, you feel that way. But in actual fact, I disagree. But um respectfully, and we're going to put our focus in these other areas that have been raised by you know, kind of more members of the staff or that align to our ways of thinking. But I think listening is is really important. Yeah, we have to look for the key themes. You know, the opinions of one or a few are valid and important, but we can't do it all or we end up tackling too much. So focusing on those key areas um, for improvement is key. And, you know, as you sort of said, and we've talked about before, workload, student management, those were those real key stresses that if we can get on top of optimising workload and then streamlining the approach to student management, that will alleviate a lot of the pressures for our staff. All right, thank you so much, Mick, for sitting down and having a chat with me today. It's really wonderful. If anyone is interested in reaching out and connecting with you, is there an easy way for them to to do that? Are you on LinkedIn? Or uh, I am on LinkedIn, but I'm not. I'm not as good at keeping it um, updated. So. Maybe, I mean, you could probably just look, our school name is Denison College, Kelso High Campus in Bathurst. So whether or not you can access our website potentially and reach out through the school email might be the easiest way to go um, and access that information. Wonderful. Thanks so much for your time today, Mick. It's been wonderful. No worries. Great to talk to you. Thanks so much for listening to Well-Led Schools. I look forward to connecting with you at adrianhornby.com.au. Here you can get in contact with me, learn more about my approach and join my mailing list. I'm Adrian Hornby. Thanks again for your time and stay well.